Cast and Blast Florida Season 3 Episode 11 of Conversations And this week we went right in our own backyard Literally, you'll hear the birds chirping And talked to <laughs> friend of the show Member of the Cast and Blast community Donnie Miley And you guys are going to love this conversation Donnie has stories that will make the hair stand on the back of your neck But he's also going to talk to us about his quest for killing all 41 huntable waterfowl species in North America. The adventures he's been on, the stories, unbelievable. You guys are going to love Donnie. Great guy, great dad, great husband. Donnie Miley coming at you right now. Donnie, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you, Travis? I'm doing great, buddy. Thanks for taking some time to join us. No problem. My pleasure. I'm really excited to talk to you. First question is, who is Donnie Miley? Uh, First and foremost, I am a father to a six-year-old boy who loves the outdoors as much as me. Second, I'm a husband to one of the most understanding wives you could ever ask for. Uh, she's unbelievably supportive in all of the crazy stuff that I do. And some of it's pretty ridiculous. Um, so I, right now I do have, I'm a project manager for a corporate housing company. Um, we do student housing in the summer. Uh, it kind of frees. I, I tried, I was a hunting and fishing guide for a little bit. Um, I did some marketing and promoting for a little bit and I was actually a manager at, uh, Home Depot for a few years. And that was just entirely too demanding. Now my job is super busy during the summer, but basically the entire fall, I pretty much get to do what I want, which is ideal for my lifestyle. Yeah. And (laughs) We're gonna we're gonna camp out and talk about your lifestyle here in a minute because I want I want to talk about um, some of the things you're chasing, some of the things you've chased in the past, um, and everything else. But before I do that, I have to ask you these three questions, or we'll both get hate mail. Um, the first question is, how do you feel about pineapple on a pizza? I prefer jalapenos on a pizza, but I will eat it with pineapple on it. Man, that's a that's a letdown when you meet when you finally get a chance to talk to one of your heroes and and he he comes at you with he's okay with pineapple on a pizza, just a tremendous letdown. I don't discriminate against it. Okay, I, I'm I'm an eater. If there's if I'm hungry, I'm gonna eat food that's in front of me. Okay, there's not a there's not a pizza you're gonna turn down. I, I'm not gonna turn down food. Period. Okay, let let alone let alone pizza. Pizza, I'll eat right like. I eat ramen noodles on a regular basis if I'm hungry enough. So I'll, I'll eat just about anything. <laughs> uh, second question is, we're going to talk about it in a minute. You go hard, whether it's fishing, whether it's hunting, no matter what it is. What is in your snack bag when you're chasing stuff outside? My number one snack is kind of weird. Uh, it's water with lemon in it. I carry a gallon jug literally everywhere I go. Donnie, um, Donnie, do you know I, what a snack I, is? Yes, I do. I do. <laughs> uh, I, I carry I carry deer jerky or beef jerky with me all the time and usually a pack of tuna fish. Okay. Like a can um, or, or, or no, one of those peel packs? No, it's one of the peel. I carry the peel packs with me. Um, I 
don't take that in if i'm deer hunting i obviously don't take that in a deer stand with me not that i think it would spook the deer but you could have a raccoon climbing up your tree or something but um (laughs) other than that uh that's pretty much it i stay i try to stay as far away from chips and stuff as i can except in a duck line and a duck line i hammer down pretty good on everything no, Everything no, else, I try to keep it pretty light. Nothing's off limit in a duck blind. So that leads into our our final one of these, and that is, do you have a favorite Little Debbie snack? Man, I wish I would have told one of my first jobs was actually working for Little Debbie. <laughs> um, wow, we could spend a whole hour episode doing a discussion on working for Little Debbie. <laughs> I have eaten just about everything that Little Debbie ever made. Um, my, probably my favorite and something that I still carry. And I know that it puts a smile on my son's face when he eats one, when we're hunting is an oatmeal cream pot. Boom. That's all it's. Yeah. It's, it's honestly, it's the, I, I try to eat pretty healthy. So it's the only, when I'm fishing or hunting, that's the only time I eat them. But I mean, that doesn't cut it down a whole lot. I was about to say, so you eat them, you eat them 200 days a year. Yes. So, so give us, give us your story a little bit. Um, did you grow up fishing and hunting? Where'd you grow up? How did you get into fishing and hunting? Like, like tell us a little bit more about who you are as a sportsman. Okay. Okay. I, I grew up in Northwest Ohio, uh, in a family that did very little fishing and no hunting. My sister was actually very active in Greenpeace um, and got arrested a couple times for chaining herself to whale boats and stuff. So um, I, I grew up different than most people. I think I was seven or eight years old and my neighbor had went down to Southern Ohio for gun season and came back with like three or four does and had them hanging in his backyard. And I watched through my window, I watched him clean these deer and I finally got up a nerve to walk over there and I watched him processing them and taking all this good care of the meat and wrapping them in paper and then plastic. And then he cooked some and I ate some and it was amazing and he was like, this is what organic meat is. This is what it tastes like. And it clicked right then that I was killing animals, even though I didn't believe in killing animals at that time, I was killing them every time I ate a chicken sandwich from McDonald's or something. So I might as well go do it myself because then I know where they came from. And that's actually why I started hunting. When did you, when did you actually get to start hunting? I started hunting with a bow at 11 years old um my dad was a home builder so he would buy properties build spec homes on them and then wait for them to sell so i had pretty much unlimited hunting property for the first eight or nine years of my hunting career and some of it was some pretty good stuff um there was there was no shortage of of game on new developments because they're literally going into woods and making it smaller and it concentrates all the animals. So I I 
I really lucked out for quite a few years. So he would, he would take me and while he watched guys on the job site, I would sit in a tree stand and he would come pick me up at dark. We'd go home and do it all again the next afternoon. So it was a, it was a pretty good deal. He got to, he got to make sure his guys were doing what they were supposed to be doing and knew his kid was staying out of trouble. Now, did he, did he support your choice to hunt? Like, like a hundred, a hundred percent. Um, my dad, started hunting when he was a kid and then just grew out of it because uh he was really big into football and golf and uh really concentrated on those and his dad did not hunt a lot he was extremely supportive of me hunting and fishing uh my mom was extremely supportive of me fishing (laughs) not so much not so much hunting she despised guns for a long time. I, I, I worked on her pretty hard for quite a few years uh, to get her to accept it. And now I've even got her to the point now where she's comfortable enough that uh, she'll come out and supervise my son as he's shooting his 22 in the yard. Awesome. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's pretty cool. She's a lot more comfortable with them now and realizes that if, you use them responsibly there nobody's going to get hurt uh, that's a good word I, I will tell you the other magic power there is is uh the promotion to grandmother like i've noticed yes. that with my parents yes. and with Emily's yes. parents like when they get the promotion to grand grandparent uh some things that were seemingly off limits to you suddenly become very permissible <laughs> yes <laughs> so, well, oh sure oh, sure you can have caffeine before bedtime because i'm taking you back to your parents a- house. exactly right yeah so how did you get to florida i moved here 13 years ago i had planned on taking my dad's business over um he was getting ready to retire and i still wasn't sure he got an off somebody else offered to buy it and i told him to sell it and i decided i just needed a change of pace and i came to florida it for the better part of my early 20s i was coming down here for about four months a year to panama city and was working as a club promoter so i, I kind of fell in love with the place especially north florida and i always i as soon as i got the opportunity to come down here I jumped at it. Everybody thought I was an idiot. Uh, my wife and I, she was my girlfriend at the time. And they opened up a Costco down here in Tallahassee. And we were like, boom, we, we can go down there. We can get a job. And we both got hired. She accepted the job. I did not accept the job because I didn't want to live with her and work with her. <laughs> so, oh wait. This isn't um, about and, this not, isn't about relationship and, advice, Donnie. But good word. And 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 then she and now she's a manager, so it worked out really well for us. Awesome, awesome. Now, um, let's talk about. You're in Florida. You've been here 13 years. You love this place, right? I. It's the greatest place on the planet, and I'm pretty well traveled. <laughs> tell tell somebody i mean somebody listening to this doesn't know you from adam well, why is it the greatest place on the planet uh it's it's honestly with the exception of alaska and a few of the places a few states out west it's 
one of the last places with vast wilderness areas. I live in the middle of 550,000 acres of Apalachicola National Forest. Um, the shoreline up here is for the most part undeveloped. I know that South Florida is not, and I, I wish there was something anybody could do about that. I don't believe that there is now other than build responsibly, but it's still, the weather's phenomenal. The people are awesome. There's some of the most caring and compassionate people down here I've ever met in my life. And the outdoorsman community is second to none. Absolutely second to none. I, I really kind of lost touch with all of my friends up North because the people down here are so good to me. <laughs> now you go hard. Let's talk a little bit. Cause we want to spend a lot of time on ducks and, and kind of what you're doing with ducks. But before we get sure. to that, t- take me through some of the other stuff you love to chase that you chase in Florida. Okay. I am completely addicted to alligator hunting. Did you, did you get tags? Um, We're recording this on the day tags came I, out. Do you know if you got I, tags? I actually did not get tags. My wife did. She got the tags that I wanted her to get for the exact week that I wanted her to get. So that worked out well. And uh, two of my buddies that I take both drew tags also for the exact week that I wanted, which is probably why I didn't get that week. Um, but I, it's going to work out well. You're still going to need to go all, and, and chase them. Alligator hunting yeah, and is a tag team sport. Left. Yeah, it is. It is a team sport, 100. Um, percent I, other than my first alligator that I ever killed, I that was the only one that I ever did solo. Um, and the guy that took me out knew how special the first alligator was going to be. So he literally let me do it from start to finish and coached me through it. So truthfully, it was a team sport still because I wouldn't have had any idea what I was doing. Right. But now I haven't killed an alligator myself in probably six or seven years. I take other people, even, even on my tags. Um, I, on if they're my tags i always hold out for some really big gators right now if it's like my wife if she wants to kill a seven footer she gets to kill a seven footer you know um mine i'm like i don't want to kill anything under 12 but i've got the patience to do that and her time's a lot more limited than mine is so we'll go out we'll have a good time hopefully we get a little bit on film i know that her and donnie were super pumped last year when they killed two gators so I, it's going to be a really good season. So, so you love to gator hunt. I, I love to gator hunt. I love to hog hunt. I, I'm going to camp out there for just a second. Uh, okay. How do you hog hunt? Do you do dogs up there or are you, cause you're, you're pretty far um, north of me. You're about three, four we, hours north of me. Yeah. Um, we do do dogs up here. Um, I love to run them with dogs. Most of my friends are the friends that I started doing with have gotten more responsibilities now and raising a pack of dogs that are good takes a lot of time. Very hard to do. Yeah, it's it's very difficult. Um, It's more of a a younger guy thing. So now we're hunting on on them out of 
we do spot and stalk a couple times a year, which is really fun because we put waders on and we walk through the swamp. And it's, it is super fun because you get up close and personal with these. Um, and we, we sit in tree stands The running dogs is my favorite way, but it's, it's so much, it's so much work and effort to raise a pack of dogs. And I get too attached to my dogs. I could never, like, I couldn't let my dogs do that. Yeah. If you're a hog hunter with dogs, you realize that there's a risk and a yes. very good chance you're going to lose dogs to hogs yeah. over time. Like, it's just going to happen. Yeah. Uh, yes. Uh, eventually, eventually, any good dog that you have, you will lose it to a hog or an alligator because their, their drive to please you by getting you a hog is so strong that they throw caution to the wind and eventually it catches up with them. I, yeah. I think the, the average age of my buddy's dogs was like three and a half years old. Yeah. They just don't, they just don't. Yeah. And it, 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 wear, it wears you down emotionally eventually. That's what happened. A good friend of mine just wore him down. It, it, it's funny to think about as hunters, you know, we social media is certain places that love to paint us as cold hearted killers, but really it, it's, it's too emotional to lose the dog. Way too, way too emotional for me. Um, do you do any small game hunting? I do. I love dove hunting. I absolutely love dove hunting. We don't get to do it as much as we used to. We don't have our own dove fields anymore. So I've got two guys that let us dove hunt uh, on their dove hunts. And we go three or four times a year. And we... At, Two years, no, three years ago, we actually did something really cool, and my son and I shot two Inca doves, which oh, wow. are from South America, um, and we actually shot them in a county that is the only county in the state of Georgia that they've ever been documented in before, <laughs> so it was really, it was really odd and really cool, um, but we love to dove hunt. My son is obsessed with squirrel hunting. Um, I can't believe we even have squirrels in our yard anymore, honestly. And he really enjoys eating them. Now, yes. you, you also, I, I've seen red snapper pictures and stuff from you. You fish hard, too. I I fish hard. I used to be much more serious of a fisherman than a hunter. And then as I got older, I got the finances to be more serious hunting because it's a lot more expensive. Um, and I started getting in more into hunting. I still, I absolutely love snapper fishing. Snapper and grouper fishing is my favorite. I had probably my best day in five years, though, or in the past five years, last uh, Saturday, fishing inshore. Uh, we caught redfish every single cast for about four straight hours. Oh, so, my gosh. Don't, yeah, don't say it that was, to me. It was pretty phenomenal. All on artificials. It didn't matter what you threw. You could, if you wanted to catch them on, uh, plastic frog you definitely could have oh my it, it was just one it was just one of those days where the stars aligned you know yep it just hit right it just hit right yeah before we get into talking about ducks um i, I want to ask you a question i didn't prep you for this but i'm going to ask it anyway how much or how is your perspective on chasing wild game changed since you became a father because I, I something i've seen that that you're so active in making sure that little donnie is out there with you as much as he can be out there with you. I used to be a, I used to be a white tail's worst nightmare. I love eating them. So I would 
I spent probably 80 or 90 days a year in a tree. And now my son and I spend probably 25 days a year in a ground blind. And I might spend two or three days in a tree. So my focus is definitely switched to my son. Um, Watching him grow as an outdoorsman means way more to me than anything else. Um, the fact that he doesn't really play video games, he wants to go out and shoot his 22 or his shotgun or learn how to throw a cast net or practice casting in a yard. Like that stuff just, it, that melts my heart, you know? So, and it, it just makes it, you've, you've officially got a built in hunting buddy, right? I, officially so mom can't it, say you can't go although it looks to me it, just being friends with you on social media it looks to me like stephanie goes quite a bit she she goes quite a bit and she has really started to get into waterfowl hunting um the only thing that she does not like and i still think it's because it's the time of year she says it's because they're ugly and she hates turkey hunting okay with a passion she does not like that i turkey hunt or that Donnie turkey hunts. <laughs> she doesn't want a mounted turkey hunt uh, turkey in the house. <laughs> um, she does she does eat them, but other than that, um, she doesn't like turkey hunting. Everything else, super supportive. Doesn't care what we do or where or when we do it. Um, and you walk into my house, it looks like Cabela's. So yeah, we're gonna talk about your your quest, your hunting. Uh, and, and waterfowl specifically here in a second, but I want to I want to mm-hmm. isolate on that because it's going to be easy to as we talk through this pigeonhole Donnie Miley as a trophy hunter, but you eat almost everything you shoot, right? I eat literally everything I shoot. I don't let anything go to waste. I have shot one thing that I can remember off the top of my head that I did not eat, and that was an armadillo, and it was. In my yard, I shot it at night with my bow, which I'll never do again because it's it, it's horrible. Anybody that shot a armadillo with a bow before knows what happens. Um, and I didn't eat that only because I had heard that they carry a couple diseases. Leprosy that I didn't want was always a yeah. Yes. Yeah, that's what I, I didn't want to say that and sound like an idiot, but no, I've, I did I've heard hear that, that too. I don't know if it's what true. I, that's but... what I was, that's what I was scared of. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know if that's true or not, but I, I know we used to catch them as kids and my mom always said we would get leprosy for catching them. Yeah. So let's yeah, talk. So other, other than that, I eat everything. Okay, good. So let's talk waterfowl for a second and, and tell folks what you're doing with waterfowl. Okay. I have been actively hunting waterfowl now i grew up hunting divers and on the great lakes and mallards on farm fields when i was i think i started duck hunting when i was 14 13 or 14 okay um and i started to gradually progress and get more and more species and i've always been attracted to the oddities. When I moved to Florida, I drew an STA permit and I went down there, had never been down there before. Didn't know anybody from Florida at the time uh, or from South Florida. I went down with 
a kid that worked with me to STA one and I killed a fulvus, a black belly, a widgeon, a pintail, and a blue wing teal on the same day. <laughs> and the stuff of dreams. The stuff of dreams. And I had never seen a fulvus or a black belly whistling duck before. I'd, I'd seen black belly whistling ducks in Mexico, but I didn't even know that they were ducks when I saw them. Um, when I did that, that's when it started clicking that maybe I should get off of my big game slam kick for a little bit and try a waterfowl slam. And I started adding up all the species of ducks and everything. And I didn't really know what I was doing. It's confusing for somebody that doesn't, that doesn't know the differences in different species and stuff. Knowing exactly how many species there really are, it, it, you can Google it and Google fifteen different things. You know. Yeah. So tell um, us, talk, talk about it, that for a minute. They're like, I'm two species away from my quest for forty-one, which is the ultimate waterfowler slam, which is an actual documented thing. And the two species that I'm missing are swan and sandhill crane. The sandhill crane is kind of odd that it's on there because it's not a waterfowl. Um, it's just hunted by waterfowlers and I am going with Briggs to kill that this year. Brian Briggs, who, who listens to the show, uh, sometimes associate producer, but yeah, you guys are going to Texas. Is that right? Uh, we're going to Oklahoma to do that. Oklahoma. That's right. Yes. So, so that means and you've accomplished 39 of the 41 so far. And that's not, 30, that's not including any other subspecies that, or anything that you've killed that, as well. It's, it's, it's not including the subspecies and there's quite a few subspecies. The subspecies, I believe bring it. I would have to ask the, the only one that I know knows for sure. I believe are Ramsey Russell and Pat Pitt know for sure how many species there are. Those are the only two that I, I think actually know for certain. Yeah. An example would be you kill your model duck but you can kill a Florida modeled, which is Anis fulvigula, or you can kill a, yep. a uh, coastal modeled, which I don't remember off the top of my head. I, but th- there's so there's really two species of models. But in the 41, you just have to kill one of the models to count. Yes, yes, that's that is very true. Um, and now it's going to be the, effective this year. It's going to be the 42 because. Now there's the Mexican duck, right? The, the which Mexican is really mallard. gonna, add, yeah, it's really gonna add to the model duck deal. So uh, agreed. Um, and, and then there's there's subspecies of cacklers, right? There's a number of subspecies of those. There, there's there, there are there's four subspecies of cacklers. Um, there's two subspecies. There's multiple subspecies of snow geese. Um, there's multiple subspecies of white-fronted geese uh, specks. Uh, there's a greater and a lesser. There's a greater and a lesser snow. There are seven different types of Canadian geese, I believe. Yep. I believe it's I believe it's seven that's that are hunable. Num- that's the number I remember is that there's seven that are hunable. Yes. And there's some odd – and, like, the only way to tell them apart is really to have someone yeah. that knows – you really have to, when I, this past year I hunted out in Oregon and I actually had to pass a test that I, I 
legit had to study for this. I, I would not have passed it had I not studied for it. It was pretty in-depth. You had to identify these things on the wing through a video. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, it's it's pretty intense. But they have, they have a goose out there called the Dusky that is a darker-bodied Canadian goose that is suffering from habitat loss due to an earthquake that happened quite a few years ago. It's like the earthquake happened 20 or 30 years ago and it changed some of the wetlands that it, that it calls home in the summer. Um, so their population suffering. So you're not allowed to kill these geese while they come in with the rest of them. So you have to bail to spot them. And so they have you watch yeah. a video to learn how to, to, to see if you can distinguish yeah. before you're approved on. You have to distinguish every type of all seven types of species that live in Oregon. Ooh. Yes. And you're allowed to take the test three times. Wow. That's it. And and then you're not allowed to take it anymore. So I was sweating bullets. I passed it my first time. My buddy took two times to pass it. And we were and when he took it, he was already in Washington. So we were on our way to Oregon. So he needed to pass it. That <laughs> do or die time. It was do or die. How, how many how many states you think you've hunted waterfowl in so far? I've hunted about twenty states in the past five years. I believe that I've held a license in thirty different states now. Oh my gosh! Uh, oh, over the past over the past twenty years. Most but the the last five years I've 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 done a a good bit in the last five years. Most memorable waterfowl hunt you've had. It's like asking you to pick your I, favorite kid, right? It it is. I can t- the most memorable one though. By far, I have I have two. Shoot, both of them are because they were pretty extreme situations. The first one was Lake Erie, and I went out with a buddy, and it was sixty-five degrees and sunny. A cold front blew in and it dropped down into the teens in about four hours, blew all the water out of the bay that we were hunting. And our boat was about 500 yards from the waterline on hard packed sand. We couldn't push it. So finally at about 2 a.m., Selfridge Air Force Base uh, dispatched a helicopter to come and get us and, and his dog. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I, I'm about to top that one, though. Okay. My most memorable one was a pretty recent one, and it was on St. Paul Island. So, so tell and folks lot, that don't know where that is. That this is an island off the coast of Alaska. It is extremely difficult to get there. Um, the hardest part about a king eider hunt is not killing the king eider. It is actually the logistics of getting to this island it is i i don't want to throw i i believe it's four four or five hundred miles off the coast of alaska the to say the weather's extreme is it's the understatement of the century it's the most extreme situations i've ever been in in my life we got there we had the best weather window of the entire season we were hunting the last four days of the season and on day two it was like five to ten mile an hour winds which is unheard about there most days it's blowing 35 or 40 miles an hour 
and it was five to 10 mile an hour wind. And there's a spot that's called the washing machine where it goes up from 200 feet to like eight feet. And talking about the, talking about the water the wa- depth, the, the, the water depth, it's a big shelf that comes up from the bottom of the ocean floor and plateaus out at like eight feet. Well, the eight foot of water is loaded with mussels and that's what these birds are eating. So there is a huge concentration of king eiders, the biggest long tails I've ever seen in my life by far. A few other types of bird. It's it's mostly kings and uh, long tails, but there's a few other types of ducks too. But it creates a huge swell. And this swell is, it was averaging about eight feet and it's pretty consistent. You can time them, you know when they're coming and you brace yourself. And you're out there and you're out there in a 13 foot boat. It's an inflatable boat and you're bracing yourself and you are dragging decoys behind the boat and the birds see the decoys when they're up on top of a swell and they come over. Well, the boat that my buddy was on, a swell came over the back of their boat and flipped their boat over. They were in the water for like five minutes when we got the call over the radio because the guide left the left the capsized boat swam and got the floating radio and radioed us we cut our decoy line and went straight over to them but they were about it was about a 25 30 minute boat ride to get to them so by now they were in the water for almost 40 minutes and then this is north alaska in january this is in the end of january no this is january january okay this is January. Uh, I believe it happened on January 16th, I believe. So th- this is as cold as it gets. It is literally so cold that my beard was frozen with salt water. My, I look like a snowman almost. You're completely soaked with salt water, even in the boat. And we had three guys in the water. Two of them climbed to the top of the boat and one couldn't get in there. I, I really thought that when we got there, I didn't think he was going to make it. Um, we pulled him into our boat. We got the other guys as the guide and the other guy in my boat were pulling the guys in. I was picking up their eiders, um, that were floating in the water. Why? I don't, I don't know still to this day, but I, I'm glad I did because everything worked out. But I I grabbed their floating eiders and we rode in with six people on a 13-foot inflatable boat in eight-foot swells, 45 minutes to shore. There were so many people on the boat that the gas line was getting pinched with our legs. My buddy was almost completely unresponsive the whole time. And the thoughts going through my head were they weren't good because I... We almost flipped that boat a few times, and we all knew that if we flipped, we'd only we'd only be able to save so many people. Um, we ended up getting back. We one of the guys that was in our hunting group that was actually on shore was a medic in the military. He pretty much saved this guy's life. Um, we went to the hospital there. When I say it's a hospital, it's basically. 
I, my kid has more doctor instruments in his room than they had there. Right. Um, you know, we got them warm with blankets and everything. And about six hours later, he was back in the house that we were staying at and he wanted to go hunting the next day. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And now since then, I, I'm really good friends with all those guys. I mean, we built a bond that I, I honestly don't think it can ever be broken after all that. It was, it was pretty unreal. I know a lot of people in the duck hunting community have heard that story. It was on some of the forums pretty heavily and people thought we were out doing something dumb. And honestly, they just got really unlucky. They didn't do anything dumb. They were wearing their life jackets. Thank God they were wearing their life jackets. All three of them would have been gone if they weren't wearing their life jackets. Okay, I got two. I got two questions. The first one is, what is it about chasing and collecting ducks? Because that's really what we kind of call this in in our world. We call this collecting ducks, the, right? The, the, this is bird collecting. The, yeah, this is strictly bird collecting. What is it about? bird collecting that makes you willing to take risks like this to go shoot a duck the challenge and the sacrifice required to obtain some of these species makes them even more attractive i i can look at my king eider mounts and remember every second of i can do this with every mount in my house i can relive every single second of that hunt but with i, I feel like i'm there with the king eiders yeah yeah um they're they're that special and i i really think that that's why people that start getting into bird collecting it's it's not hunting even though you are hunting these birds i go i went cinnamon teal hunting this past season and i went down there and i shot my cinnamon teal and i was good you know i i picked the prettiest one i saw i shot him and as soon as I got him, I was like handing the guide my gun and like, Hey, you have at it now. I, I just want to watch somebody else shoot. I, I went down there for a specific thing and I got that. And as soon as I got that, I, I just felt like a million dollars. I had accomplished my goal. I, I do a lot of one and dones. I, I go and get what I'm after and then I come home or I go on to a new place. I think I think there's a lot of people like me that are doing this. The, the second question I have is, what does it say that as a you're a bird collector and and you have this massive goal that it's going to be a huge accomplishment? But when yeah. I asked you for your two favorite memories, they had to do with the adventure and nothing to do with the ducks you shot. Nothing to do with the ducks. Nothing to do with the ducks. The ducks merely remind me of the adventure. The, they're like the impetus. Yeah, they're like the. They're like the vehicle that you're in to go do these adventures. Is that fair? They're, they're, they're the reason they're the, they, they're the excuse to go on the adventure. <laughs> there you go. That's a great, that's a great they're, way of looking at they're, it. They're, they're, they're the excuse. Um, I could, I, everybody's like, why don't you, why don't you just get into photography and hunt year round? And I'm like, you know what? I, I don't know. I wish I could. I've tried. It's just one. I'm, I'm not good at it. Um, and 
two, I really like the fact that there's a start and a finish because then I can go really hard the entire time without getting so physically and emotionally exhausted that I give up. But they're, they're really the excuse to go out and do all of this stuff. They're excuse to see some of the most beautiful places on earth. I never, I would have never went to California ever had it not been for my desire to kill a cinnamon teal in the continental United States. And I went to California and it's so gorgeous. I will definitely be back. I'm not going to go to LA, but (laughs) I'll definitely, I will definitely be back to California. It is, it is, it's, it is breathtakingly beautiful. What is it? Or what do you expect? What I know this is a really weird kind of open-ended question, but what do you think it's going to feel like when you take that last bird on your list, which I'm guessing will be the swan, right? My last bird is going to be the swan. Um, I have kind of, kind of planned. I, it kind of fell into place and I'm really happy that it did fall into place like that because it is a hunt that I can take my family on and other people that want to be a part of that last bird. Um, cause it's going to be a really special moment. I don't know how I'm going to feel. I am probably, uh, I'll be excited, but there's probably going to be, uh, be a little sadness there too. I think I will be honest with uh, you. I have seen more than one client that completes their slam. They need a minute. Yeah. Because it's an emotional accomplishment, right? Like it's, it's, you see, it's a culmination of a million miles. There's so many, yeah, so many emotions going on at once because it took so many different adventures to get to that one last final point. It's just so many emotions. I I don't even know what to expect. I'm not going to let people take pictures or video of me though for a couple minutes. I can tell you that. (laughs) (laughs) I can tell you that. You plan to finish your swan in 2022, 2023? I'm okay with 2022 because it would be in January and I turn 41 in February. I want to, I want to finish by the time I'm in my, I want to finish before I turn 41. My goal was to finish by the time I was 40. Um, and I'll count that as a win, even though it's cheating a little bit. If I kill it, it, if I finish, I wanted to finish last year and I just didn't, I didn't get the permit. So this year I'm applying for North Dakota and North Carolina and, uh, I will, I will get the North Dakota tag. So, um, I'd like to do it in North Carolina just because it's so much more convenient. Um, but I, chances are I will finish this year this season awesome awesome man i i'm so happy for you because i i've been following along with you for several years now i mean we've been facebook friends for probably five years and just just watching you stack those up is um is really cool but it's also really cool to watch i think the other thing that people don't understand is as a guy that's a guide i've stood there and watched somebody finish their slam and i'm one guy among these 41 species and countless, however many other ducks he shot over the years to play a part in this. I'm, I'm playing one little small part. He's this common thread and he's got a story with all these people. He's got a connection to all these people. 
it's it's really really unique when you think that ducks have woven all that together. It's it's pretty. Cr- I mean, start thinking about how many friends ducks have woven into like my entire family of friends is basically duck hunters. <laughs> <laughs> it's a totally different breed of person. It, it truly is. And uh, in both good ways and bad ways. Um, what is, what is next after you complete? Have you thought that far ahead? Like, are you going to go back and try to do a big game slam? Or are you going to start going after I, subspecies or what? I, I, I am going i have i have started to plan that i was not going to i wanted to keep a clear head until i got to the point to where i knew it was obtainable in a single season and now i am to that point so i have always wanted to kill a cape buffalo in africa i've never been to africa so i took advantage of one positive of covid and that's that African hunt prices have dropped by about 75%. And I booked the hunt of my dreams that I wouldn't have been able to even come close to putting it, afford to put a deposit down on a couple of years ago. And I booked one for 2022. Now, are you going to try to, are you going to try to squeeze in a duck hunt I'm, I'm while sure, you're over I, there? I, I got two days set aside for that. Okay. Good deal. Because I know, I, I think I've actually heard Ramsey Russell and Phil Lavretsky talk about uh, the mallard species they have over there. I think it's an African black yeah. duck. Yeah, they, they have they have an African black duck. They have Egyptian geese. Oh, that's cool. In yeah, their na- um, in their native. Do, 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 I know. Imagine that shooting them in their native habitat. Pretty pretty cool. Um, they have something that is very cool that i probably will not see this time but it is one of that is actually something that i do want to bring up my two bucket list species of waterfowl they have a pygmy goose which is a goose the size of a teal oh wow that lives over there and my other one getting off the subject of Africa is a smew because I am obsessed with fish eating ducks. Um, the mergansers, people hate them. I love them and I love them so much that I eat them. <laughs> and if you don't know about mergansers, mergansers primarily feed on fish and they smell like a bait bucket when you get them in the boat. Um, and they, I I don't let clients shoot them unless they want to mount them because, or Mm -hmm. they can continue to shoot them, but the client has to clean them and I make the client (laughs) clean them. I'm not going to clean Morganzers for you because they stink. Um, So it's, it's funny to me like to hear somebody that uh, you could be considered among, among the people I know in Florida, one of the premier duck hunters that I know simply for effort, right? Like you've gone these places, you've chased these things but to also it's hear, a lot of effort. But also to hear you're humble about you really love mergansers. That's awesome. That's I, like next I level lo- awesome. I I love mergansers. My son loves mergansers. They just they decoy so well up here. They decoy when nothing else will decoy. And they usually don't fly real fast. So my son can my son can get on them pretty good and it's pretty exciting and he's he's got to the point now where he can clean one in about two minutes oh my so gosh. 
it's yeah it's pretty fantastic without getting cut i i go to clean ducks and i'm like cutting chunks of my thumb off into the duck breast and stuff so yep. but same he, 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 he can clean it he can clean a duck in about two minutes <laughs> i need to start booking him for charters to come clean yeah ducks yeah it's pretty, it's, yeah it's pretty awesome uh so so africa's on your on your list a smew is on your list um and then that that's uh, sorry i'm i'm, I'm not gonna ask and, you more. go ahead i'll be chasing i'll be chasing subspecies okay. in between all of that stuff i i have made it to this point so i'm gonna go all the way i'm 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 gonna shoot all the subspecies the last question i have for you is this if tomorrow they put in a quota tag system for purple gallinules, how quickly would you put your money in to try to shoot a purple gallinule or a moorhen, a purple moorhen? Absolutely immediately. Um, in <laughs> fact, they, believe, believe it or not, immediately. I, if they said you could buy a tag, let's say it's like the, like the bear tag system that they had a few years ago where everybody throws in a hundred bucks. It could be a hundred, 500, whatever they wanted to, but everybody throws in money. And then when they hit that quota, it's done. I would still do it. Even living up here. And we don't have a lot up here. Like I'd have to go down South to shoot it, you know, but I would totally do it. In fact, I've been looking, <laughs> I, I have been talking pretty adamantly with um, several guys in Louisiana where it is legal to shoot them. Right. Um, because I think that they are absolutely gorgeous and I think that they will, one of them would look pretty good on my wall and I, no, I'm not going to go shoot a bunch of them, but I'll shoot one. I, <laughs> I will tell you if they taste like regular more hens, I would shoot a bunch of them if I was allowed to, but it, I, I think it, they are so gorgeous. They are so gorgeous and regular more hens anybody that follows me on Facebook, we kill a lot of more, uh, more hens and coots. I, I take my son out and that, we do that after when I get off work and he gets out of school, we'll go do that at the lake right down the street from the house. And we just, we go destroy them. And it, one, it's great practice for regular waterfowl season. It's great to get out there and spend time. And they are phenomenal to eat they're phenomenal the i we coots and moorheads on a regular basis and coots every once in a while if you get a really skinny one they taste gamey yep. but other than that if they're, if they're healthy ones they're they taste like a duck to me <laughs> I, maybe I not like a, maybe maybe not like a teal or a wood duck but i mean they they taste like a duck i i love duck meat i ate duck yesterday and today <laughs> <laughs> the difference between a coot and a ringer or a bluebill is almost indistinguishable in my mind if I cooked those three species one night, there's no way anybody could tell the difference, including myself. Agreed. Agreed. Donnie, if people want to follow along with your journey, where can they find you on the social medias? Uh, on Inst I'm really active on Instagram um, just because it's, it's more about nice things rather than a bunch of negative stuff. Yep, um, politics and stuff like that isn't yes, on Instagram, really. Um, Fish Hunter 3D the number three ND uh, is my name on there or Donnie Miley on Facebook. Um, I post all my Instagram, po most of my Instagram posts get posted to Facebook through Instagram. Those are the only two that I'm active on right now. 
I was really big on the forums, but the forums really died out pretty bad the last few years. Yeah, social media uh, kind of killed them. It, yeah, so, social media really took over with that, and it's just so, it's so much more streamlined and easier to use. And I mean, Facebook now. I'm on Facebook Marketplace like a thousand times a day. <laughs> it's it's one of my new addictions. Um, anybody that's thinking about chasing the 41 species or however many species I am a pretty good resource as far as where and when to go. I can give you all the pros and cons of all the guides and outfitters that I've ever hunted with. I can tell you what hunts are easy to do on your own and which ones I do not recommend you to do on your own. Um, I've done a lot of them both ways, so I'm pretty knowledgeable about that stuff. I love talking about ducks, and the only thing that I love more about duck hunting than actually watching my son shoot a duck or me collecting all these species is helping other people collect all these species. It is me helping the waterfowl community grow is one of my favorite things. It's what I'm most passionate about. Dunny, that's awesome, and I hope some people, and I know, like you mentioned Ryan Briggs earlier, I know you've already connected with some of the folks in Florida that are looking to get into uh, pursuing their 41 or 42 or 55 or 73 or whatever it is. Yeah, whatever, and it, your number might only be the Florida species, you know? I mean, you, everybody has their own number, so I, I had don't a, let anybody else set a number for you, you know? I had a client one time that had killed all the upland birds, all the waterfowl and had no interest in killing a swan. He's like, no, I'm just not really into it. It, do, it doesn't strike me as a thing. He's like, I don't think I would have done sand hills. I just happened. They came in one day and we had tags or something. I forget how it worked back then, but he's like, I, I shot a sand hill years ago before he started collecting, but he was really into like the sporty or the sportier flying birds, the, the quail, yes. the doves, the snipe, the woodcock grouse all that stuff the, the fast flying acrobatic ones but it's a it's a thing that, that you're challenging yourself ultimately right yes this is not the only person you're competing against is your own mind basically because you're not competing against anybody else so whatever makes you happy i i actually know quite a few people i know five or six people that have no interest whatsoever in shooting a swan right um me i'm like New bird, I'm down. <laughs> if, if, if it's a if it's a huntable species, if, if it is legal to kill, you can kill it in an ethical way. I I want to kill one. Donnie, so. thank you so much for giving us some time. I know I know you're a busy man with a ton of stuff going on, but I appreciate you carving out some time to talk to us. And good luck. We'll have to have you back after you get finished, so you can you can tell us about that feeling when you when you finally pick up that swan. Definitely, Travis. Hey, it was it was absolutely my pleasure. I've looked forward to this for a while. Anybody that wants to reach out to me, feel free. I I know a lot of people from Cast and Blast have reached out to me already. Thanks. Thank you for being part of our community, bud. Yes, thank you, and I will talk to you later. Thank you so much to Donnie for giving us so much of his time. I could listen and talk ducks with him all night long or talk hunting in general with him all night long. And we didn't even really get into fishing at all. I know I could talk about that all night long with him. Hope you guys enjoyed that episode. Make sure to reach out to Donnie if you're interested. He is so serious about wanting to help people 
figure out their way to whatever they want to do in the outdoors, their path for collecting or hunting. And it doesn't just have to be ducks, alligators, whatever. Just such a genuine guy, always willing to help. Thank you guys for listening. Hope everybody has a great week. We will see y'all next week.